Well, we are going to continue on in our series with Jesus's, the reason for the season, baby Jesus's famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, or God himself, teaches us keys to the kingdom of God. So it's not kind of fun, kind of interesting. It's pretty amazing that God gives us the keys to the kingdom if we only pay attention. And he talks about some attitudes in Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, feel free to read and ahead, read on to it. Um, today's message, well, Jesus teaches a new paradigm, <clears throat> a new way of thinking. And Jesus says, uh, God himself models the Beatitudes, of which we kind of, I covered uh, last week. Uh, God himself models uh, the Beatitudes. So God doesn't show us, you know, tell us to do anything. He didn't do himself. God is the, Jesus was the epitome of uh, what God was striving for. And he asked us to go and do likewise. That is to follow him. So that's, we're getting into the weeds of uh, the central part of the message here. And so today's message, it talks about the payoff. Blessed are those that follow these things for the kingdom of God is theirs. The kingdom of God is theirs. Is it just a suggestion? You know, you'll be blessed if you do these things or is it a requirement? Hmm. I'm going to pose these kind of challenging questions to you. And I don't have all the answers today. <laughs> okay. I've thought about these things over the week, two weeks. And uh, uh, it takes some thought. And so we're going to get into it today. And I challenge you to study further as well. So um, we're going to get into the weeds in these first uh, three or four slides. We're going to struggle with some of the questions. Is it a simple suggestion, these things that God asks of us, to be poor in spirit, to be meek in heart, to be, to be mournful, to be uh, righteous in your heart, and to be merciful for those, for they shall be shown mercy. So let's get into this. We're going sh- to grapple with this uh, beatitude. Um, defining some terms, uh, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, the contemporary uh, definition of mercy is a little confusing. It's almost like compassion, right? If you go on a mercy uh, mission, uh, a mission of mercy, helping those that are poor, down, and out, they often call it a mercy uh, mission. They have mercy ships, but uh, that's a contemporary version of mercy. But the real definition of mercy is not getting what we deserve, okay? Not getting what we deserve. For instance, if you get a ticket, you're speeding, you're guilty, 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 and we all love hearing those words, I'm just going to give you a warning. Ah, <sighs> woo, woo right? That is mercy. 
That is not getting what we deserve, a ticket, right? And those of you that haven't seen John uh, Lemez, Jean Valjean, by the priest, did not get what he deserved. He, he, uh, he, he got grace, actually. Grace is, however, getting what we don't deserve, okay? Getting what we don't deserve. So we are going to get into the weeds here. Eisegesis is this uh, term that reads into the text what we want to get out of it. And exegesis is trying to dig for what the text is actually trying to tell us. So this text, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think my eisegesis um, just kind of reads the first part. <laughs> right? Blessed are the merciful. And, and my mind kind of stops there. Oh, blessed are the merciful. I mean, pat on the back. If you're merciful, blessed are you. And I'll move on to the next one. But let's read it a little bit more. Let's, let's, let's read what the text says. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Doesn't that make you feel a little uncomfortable? Hmm? Sounds a little conditional, doesn't it? Right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So let's get into it a little bit. Um, I believe the text, I won't, some of this is confusing. So exegesis, what the text I believe is telling us, when we are shown mercy from God, God expects us to do likewise, okay? All right. So before we get into the weeds and you guys start nodding off and you're not sure where this message is going, <laughs> this is what I believe the text is telling us. So you guys could check out now. You can go to sleep, whatever. <laughs> when we're shown God's mercy, God expects us to do likewise. Okay, I believe that's what the text is telling us. But let's get into the weeds here, okay? All right. Um, let's establish a couple things first. Um, our human standing before God, Romans 3.23, the Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. All right, that's an assumption that we have to establish. All right, we all fall short of God's glory. Not one is righteous in God's sight, or, on the other hand, God is holy, 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 right? Whoa, way beyond what we are. Even the Apostle Paul, everything I've, that I've done, I'm a Pharisee above, beyond uh, Pharisees, and even everything that I have, I consider as rubbish, garbage. Everything that I've done, all my religion, is garbage compared to God's holiness, Secondly, Jesus came to earth to become the sacrifice to pay for our missing the mark of God's holiness, right? Sin, ooh, that bad word that nobody likes to talk about, is anything short of God's glory. Infractions, tickets, our debt, moral debt, things we've done in the past, missing the mark, Doing bad things 
and missing the mark, not doing good things, okay? That is also sin, all right? And Jesus came to pardon all those things, pay for the penalty of those things. So those are basic tenets of our Protestant faith, okay, right? So I bring up these questions. These questions came up to my mind as I was doing my study. Um, are cheap grace conversions truly valid? What's cheap grace? Well, if you confess your sins, Jesus died for your sins, past, present, and future, you're in. You don't have to do anything. Personally, you know, one of my relatives, they did not set foot barely into a church their whole lives. Their whole life did not show that they followed God. They did not read the Bible one iota. They couldn't tell you Genesis from uh, Revelations. Yet this one relative said to me, yeah, I got dunked once. Like I said the prayer, I got dunked. You know, I did it. I done it. I want it. Right? <laughs> I mean, are these things valid? I'm challenging our questioning. Or does God require us to, when we accept his forgiveness, to truly follow him, right? You study all the calling of the disciples. What did Jesus say? Did he, there was this, he said, follow me, Right? Or in a nutshell, uh, God says, be holy, what? Be holy as I am holy. I want you to follow me. I want you to change. So this brings up the whole debate of faith versus works theology. Now, 2,000 years post the coming of Christ, the coming of baby Jesus, theologians have debated ad nauseum, right? Denominations. Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox Church, which split off at what's called the Great Schism, the Great uh, 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 Irreconcilable Schism from Eastern Orthodox to Roman Catholic and the authority of the Pope and Rome to the Reformation of Martin Luther and the Reformers, right? Calvinism and Lutheranism. Debates over faith versus works theology. I'm not going to get into the weeds of that, but it should pique your interest. It piqued my interest as far as this beatitude. The whole book of James talks about faith without works is dead. Ooh. You know, just, just as soon as you feel comfortable with, you know, it's faith alone, Christ alone, all we need is God. We can do nothing of our own effort to earn our salvation. And then possible James comes along and says, faith without works is dead. Ooh, makes us Protestants feel a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Right? And he says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. 
It brings me back to these grace alone, cheap conversions that we have seen 2,000 years later of televangelists just, you know, accept Jesus today. Yay, ding, ding, ding. We have another conversion. <laughs> Is that a conversion? Is it? So more so, I believe, I believe the Bible is telling us, true faith, true faith leads to true repentance and true change, okay? All right, let's get into it a little bit more. If you like big theological words, it's this interplay between justification and sanctification. Justification and sanctification. God wants, you know, Jesus, his once for all sacrifice is central to our justification, right? If we were to, you know, die tomorrow, you know, we're, if we're the thief on the cross, we're relying not on our works to justify us, right? We are relying on the goodness and the purity of Jesus sacrificing for our sins. There's nothing that we could do religiously, uh, to gain our justification. But God, if God, uh, if God leaves us here on the earth <laughs> to live our life, God wants sanctification. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to change. He doesn't want us to just have cheap grace, all right? Oh, yeah, I, I, I got dunked once, and so I could live my life the way I want to. Certainly, God has the power to justify us due to nothing we can do on our own. That's that faith alone. The truly unrepentant soul will ask, well, can I believe and still live my life the way I want to and still be saved? Well, here's the exegesis part. After this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus tells a parable, and it's in Matthew 18. If you want to turn there, or it's going to be on the board here. Jesus tells a parable. Well, actually, after it's prompted by Peter coming to Jesus and asking, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Okay. So the context here is... The rabbinical law at the time, okay, the truly religious, required followers to forgive the offender three times, okay? If you're going to be a truly righteous, religious, Jewish uh, follower of God, child of God, you would forgive others three times. So here, uh, Peter is asking, or, or the context here is Peter is a follower of Jesus, thinking Jesus is the true rabbi, right? The true prophet. Well, if, if, if the rabbinical law required us to do it three times, Lord, shall we forgive our brother and sisters? Double that <laughs> is, is what he's asking. Seven, double plus one? 
seven times? Okay, you understand the context now? All right. If they were right, self-righteous, shall we, shall we do it seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven in other versions as well. So this is an example of how far, this is what I got out of it. This is an example of how far we miss the mark, okay? The religious people thought they could be self-justified if they forgive people three times. And then Peter is coming along and saying, okay, you're, if you're the true prophet, shall we, shall we, if we're going to be really righteous, shall we do it seven times? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. You cannot, basic, you cannot justify yourself, right? So this is the works thing. The works thing. You cannot justify yourself. This is how far you miss the mark. And Jesus go on to, goes on to say, therefore, the kingdom... Oh, I, we haven't even got to the parable yet, huh? <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, so that was the introduction to the parable, all right? Which Jesus tells this story right after the Beatitudes. So this is letting Scripture interpret Scripture, okay? And, you know, some preachers will go bouncing all over the place. And you certainly want to do that in your Bible study too. But this is right after, right after the Beatitudes, this story ensues. So Jesus tells this parable. Let me describe it like this to you, Peter. Therefore, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, the king is God, servants are us. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Okay, 10,000 bags of gold. Basically, that means an astronomical amount of gold that he could never, ever, ever repay. So who is that? That's you and I. That's you and I, okay? Doesn't matter how religious we are, all right? Doesn't matter if we're the Pope, okay? <laughs> all right? Doesn't matter if we're Mother Teresa, all right? We can never repay is what this is telling us. This is what this is teaching us. Okay, as, a, as he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. Wow, is this how God treats us? Well, what is this telling us? This is the justice of God. This is talking about God's justice. God is merciful, but he is purely, perfectly just as well. There is a debt that we owe. At this, the servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and begged him, I will pay back everything. Well, what does that tell you? That's a religious statement, isn't it? I, I will pay back everything. Could he pay back everything? Absolutely not. We cannot either, okay? This is Peter. This is going back to Peter asking, shall I forgive my brother and sister seven times? Okay? Jesus says, you can't do enough to be self-righteous. So this gets into works theology, right? 
We can't pay back our debt, and this leads us to self-righteousness, okay? Self-righteousness. But the, ma the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. All right, this is the whole story of Jesus paying the debt that we owe. It's incomprehensible. I can't explain it to you. And every time I say it, I can't feel a little bad because I, I, it's incomprehensible. God paid the debt for us through Jesus. That's, it's incomprehensible, and it takes us a lifetime to understand what that means. But here, he canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay back what I owe you. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into debtor's prison until he could pay the debt. So what's great about this is uh, you all are made in the image of God and the Holy Spirit resides in you. And so you can kind of feel the moral of the story burning in your heart here, right? So you along with the other servants, all right, 30, verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, okay, right? You feel that as well, right? It's like, this is not right. That's messed up, <laughs> right? They were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant Okay, this is the part that uh, you need to do your own Bible study and, and meditate on this and let God speak to you. Because let's read. We'll, we'll let it uh, sit before us here. Verse 32. The master called in the servant, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have at least had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? Ooh, verse 34. In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Isn't it a little unsettling? And then God, Jesus, goes on to say, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Woo! What does that mean? I'm not sure exactly what that means. All right? But it's a little unsettling, isn't it? You know, he didn't... Let me back up a little bit. In this parable... He didn't just rebuke him, did he? <laughs> All right? He didn't just slap him on the wrist and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. He says, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just I had on you? In anger. Ooh, wow. In anger. God is angry when we don't do what he wants us to do, when we're not holy as 
he wants us to be. In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. <laughs> Woo. Until he should repay back all he owed, which is impossible. Sounds like hell to me, doesn't it? He's going to be tortured until he pays back. We just established he was not able to. There's no way he could pay this back. Well, what I got out of this is that God is serious about repentance and turning it from our selfish ways. This is no joke. <laughs> All right? You know, this is a parable. Okay, it's a parable. It's just a story. Well, who told the story? Uh, Jesus did. Well, who's Jesus? Uh, God. Okay? You can't just justify, well, it was one of his disciples, and, uh, you know, he had this certain slant on things. The Apostle Paul, you know, he was imperfect. He had thorns in his side, and, you know, he had, he had scurry theology. He wasn't perfect. Jesus himself is, God himself is telling this story about his own character. Isn't that trippy? Wow. What I get from this, God forgives our debt. He does. We must. Are we required to forgive others? I'm going to read it uh, the way, I'm going to read the parable the way the, uh, the, I'm going to read the beatitude the way the parable interpreted it. So at first it reads, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, if you flip it, cursed are the unmerciful, for they will not be shown mercy. Ha, ha, how do you like that? <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> you see what I did there? Is that, out, is that out of the ordinary? Is that reaching too far? The parable demonstrates true followers of God, all right? Shall we just be better than other religions, okay? That is definitely a teaching out of the parable, is that uh, the hundred bags of gold and Peter asking, you know, are, how about if we forgive our brother and sister if we're merciful seven times, <laughs> okay? So definitely, Definitely, that's the teaching, is that God is saying, you don't get it. My standards are like this, all right? You're not able to self-justify yourself. So as followers of God, we have been shown, I believe, this is what, I believe this is what the parable is telling us. As followers of God, we have been shown an unimaginable amount of mercy that should change us. So I think the t part of the take-home is not only should it change us, it's only right that we be changed, is that we need to understand how holy God is and how far away we are, and that God did truly forgive our sins and reach to us in an unmanageable amount. That's what I get out of this.
And then the last question, again, I'll let you wrestle with. Does God require that we go and do likewise? <laughs> Not just a suggestion. The parable certainly shows us what happens when we don't, right? <laughs> Woo! So I, I don't know, it leads me to ask that question. Does God require it? Strongly suggest it? Again, the parable shows us what happens when we don't. One school of thought is that the person who... So this makes you a little uneasy, right? It leads you to the question, wow, what's God going to do to us, all right? Us believers. Can we lose our salvation? Can we be thrown into a debtor's prison and be tortured if we really mess up? Okay, so that's a question. Maybe I'll answer next time. Cliffhanger. <laughs> okay. We've, we've all maybe asked that ourselves and, and heard other people pose that question, right? Can, we, can you truly lose your salvation? All right. Okay, wrapping up here. Matthew 6, 12, in the next chapter, after this, Matthew 6, 12 is right after Jesus teaches us how to pray, all right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, okay? Very similar, right? Very similar. This is not proof texting either. That term is, is a goofy term. It doesn't define what it actually is. <laughs> proof texting is to have a certain thesis, thought, understanding of what scripture means, and then look around in the Bible for for passages that kind of support your thesis. That's proof texting, right? But this, this is right after Jesus, God, told us, describes the Beatitudes, blessed are, and then he teaches us how to pray, and then in that, he says, this is how you should pray, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we, as we forgive our debtors. There it is again. Matthew 6, 14. For, okay, God himself is explaining what he just said. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. There it is again. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that make you feel a little uncomfortable? Right? Because we grew up as Protestants, grace, grace, God's grace. <laughs> right? That's what we like to sing. That's what we like to hear. These passages, yeah, God's grace. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Sounds a little conditional to me. But if you do not forgive others their sins, 
your father will not forgive your sins. I didn't emphasize that, right? Your father will not forgive your sins. <laughs> All right. Here's a five-minute video of someone who describes this better than I can. All right. So see if you can follow along and we'll wrap up. Our eternal destiny is not dependent on us forgiving others. Okay? He makes that point. All right? Our eternal destiny is not dependent on us forgiving others, even though you can be tempted to read that into the text. But when we do not forgive others in light of what God has done for us, what I get out of this is God is mad, <laughs> sad, upset. He has righteous indignation when we refuse to become holy like he is holy. All right? That's what I get out of it. God justifies us through the work of Jesus and this process of sanctification. All right? And this, general, this pastor points out, it affects our relationship with God, all right? When we harbor sin, when we refuse not to be holy like he is holy, to not hold ourselves accountable, to grow, all right? And live up to the standards of God. So it's just like in, uh, I think it's Ephesians, live a life worthy of the calling of your calling. Live a life worthy, and maybe a follow-up series to this message should be a series in Ephesians, <laughs> right? Speaking to the church. Take off the old self and put on the new self. And uh, the Apostle Paul lists <laughs> a whole litany of things that we should take off practically and the character we should put on. All right, so again, it brings us to that question that I posed in the beginning. Are cheap grace conversions truly valid? You know, I said the prayer, I got dunked. But is there, without any outward change or humility or repentance, was that a truly valid conversion? You know, I bring that up not to, you know, pass judgment on people that we know, but it, I think it is definitely a contemporary thing, <laughs> right? Cheap conversions. Uh, living in America, especially, right? Where there's no, there's no consequence for cheap conversions is that we want value-added uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll add Jesus to my life. <laughs> yeah, it's that fire insurance policy. Sure, you're going to give it to me free? Sure, yeah, I'll take it. That's the society that we live in, all right? And definitely, I believe, like the Apostle Paul speaking to the church, this is not the church that we want to be. That's not going to make a healthy church, all right? James says it 
again so well in the context of what we just heard from that other pastor. Our eternal salvation is not dependent on anything I do, not forgiving others. But James, however, says, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith and I'll show you my works. To the apostle James, they are one in the same, okay? More so, true faith leads to true repentance and true change. All right. So blessed. Thanks for your kind attention today. <laughs> I hope that challenged your uh, uh, Bible study thought process in this simple beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Go ahead and read ahead of what we just uh, covered. And then next week, we will look forward to blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for uh, this end of the year uh, time together, worshiping you. Uh, we look, it could be a time of reflection, of looking back on our 2023, that you have been faithful God, we have lost uh, a couple family members in this church. God, their passing kind of brings before us uh, the timeliness and uh, a sense of eternity. God, you have given us a number of days to live on this earth. And there's no guarantee whether it's eight or 80 years that we live, God. But we thank you this day. It's a day that you have made and we rejoice and we're glad in it this December uh, 31st in the day of our Lord, 2023. God, God willing that uh, you allow us to live and breathe in 2024 with a new year. God, may we be uh, sensitive to your spirit. May we be able to apply these attitudes of being poor in spirit, humble in heart, and blessed are those that thirst and desire after righteousness. And all God's people said, amen.